Completed a chapter about oh, about uh, fifteen twenty minutes before the uh, the show uh, began, and it's so bad that my wife screamed at me uh, for it and says walked away as I uh, many of these chapters I read sections of it uh, to her uh, before you know while I'm uh, it's current and I'm writing about it and she says don't you dare read any more of that <laughs> to me and and stormed off twice. Well. Yeah, so, so either my writing qualities. Now, to be fair, because we're going to talk about uh, God's animosity, the Jewish religion. What, what I did mm-hmm. is add a, I, uh, I found an article written by a, a rabbi, Rabbi Samson. It was uh, published yes. in, uh, in uh, one of the, uh, the two or three uh, Jewish newspapers, that uh, Israeli newspapers mm-hmm. that I read each day. They're actually my favorite newspapers, and uh, and uh, I, the the one of them, uh, I, Channel Seven, I think, is how they go by in uh, in Israel. But one of them has a section that is called religion, and oh. in, in, in it <laughs> there was an article about uh, rabbis being prophets. And really? I included it in the chapter because in Hosha, and I'm translating the book of Hosha now, mm-hmm. uh, yes. I had, uh, uh, Yahweh was condemning his people for uh, pretending to be prophets when he has not spoke, spoken to them. And he hasn't spoken to them really uh, if you're a Israelite from the northern kingdom it's since uh, Hosha's time, which is, uh, I don't know, Seven what, seventy five, uh, uh, eight hundred mm-hmm. BCE. So it's been twenty eight hundred years uh, since uh, Yahweh spoke through a Israelite, 
and about 2,500 years since he spoke through a Yehudim. Uh, mm-hmm. So he even said in Hosha, this is going to be a really long intermission where uh, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. It's no, no use. And so with God uh, condemning Judaism for rabbis claiming to be prophets, you know, I hear this little voice always in the back of my head says, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not fair for you to com- uh, condemn uh, the rabbis for claiming to be prophets because rabbis don't claim to be prophets or do they? <laughs> Yeah. I read well, the article in the sense. It's so kind of Rabbi Samson to uh, to come to the rescue. Clear up this misunderstanding. So he was really, really a, a busy boy citing uh, all manner of, uh, of Jewish religious texts, particularly the Babylonian Talmud, uh, to, hmm, uh, to uh, cite the many examples of, uh, of rabbis being prophets. Uh, of course, he never once revealed any one of their prophecies because uh, that wouldn't be that's safe. He, he said no. that the message came via a Maged, uh, and that's not good either because a Maged is, uh, is a itinerant uh, uh, Jewish um, minstrel, if you will. It's, a, it's uh, a, a person who strolls from place to place uh, singing a, a message out of a Jewish folklore. Uh, to uh, uh, to Jewish gatherings, uh, that was how they received their <laughs> their divine revelation. And oh, the, well. the purpose of the uh, of the article was to state that uh, uh, it's only in Eretz, the land of uh, Israel, uh, that uh, you get uh, pure and accurate uh, prophecy, and that any claim to prophecy outside of Israel, even to the rabbis has to be a question and is filled with dross. <laughs> so, so, well, first, <laughs> in fact, one, one rabbi even says there are no prophets uh, outside of, uh, of the land of Israel. So the first thing that came to my mind is, who is the greatest Daniel? of the prophets, according to Yahweh? Oh, well, Moshe, of course. Oh, ah, yeah, Moshe. Yeah. Was Moshe, did he ever step foot in, the, uh, in uh, Eretz Yisrael? Not, not one time. Well, God gave him a flying carpet ride at the end of his career uh, over uh, Israel. That don't count. Uh, that but that don't count. He was that's never, not a never in, the, never in no. the land. So the greatest of the prophets uh, belies the uh, conclusion. And then, oh, of course, there's uh, Daniel in, uh, in Babylon. But uh, I, I just thought it was particularly clever to point out that uh, the Babylonian Talmud is the, is the foundation of uh, rabbinic Judaism. And where do you mm-hmm. suppose the Babylonian Talmud was written? <laughs> Three guesses. Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. Okay, <laughs> Babylon. Uh, I mean, these guys are just so utterly clueless. So I was reading this thing to her. And it well, they is, never read it, the Torah, though, so to be all yeah, fair. They, they've never well, read the Torah. They, they, uh, what Yahweh was complaining <laughs> about in this particular passage was that his people plaster over and whitewash his message. And when you read what they write, it is a plastering over and whitewashing of Yahweh's testimony. They will take out of, you know, out of 20 citations, all of which are diligently ascribed to a rabbi who is named, and 
always the rabbi is glorified. Oh, his majesty, the wonderful, the, the enlightening, the ever-blessed rabbi scumbag. Uh, of course, they never once say a kind word about Yahweh. They won't even mention his name. But they will, yeah. they, they, for credibility's sake, uh, out of the probably 50 citations in this article, <coughs> there, there mm-hmm. was one with the Torah address. <laughs> now they misquoted it and they misapplied it, but yeah, there was one there. <laughs> but you without that, you know, it's kind of like the Quran. What would the Quran and New Testament be if they didn't try to usurp the credibility of Yahweh's testimony? Hmm. So I come to you with a heavy heart. My uh, my last chapter has been rejected even by my uh, by my wife. So closest friend. I just I, I guess what I should have done is rather than include this uh, uh, this yeah. rabbi's entire protestation uh, affirming that uh, rabbis claim to be prophets, that perhaps what I should have done was just have excerpts mm-hmm. from his article but gosh when you read it and I'll, I'll share it you know it's it's now only chapter three of volume eight and so we're a long way from publishing this particular volume but we'll get to it and and you may have the same go running and screaming but i didn't know what part to cut out because it was uh it was like yawa had heard what these income poops had said and decided that well, I think I'll expose and condemn them uh, using their own words. This time last week, uh, we were on uh, uh, my favorite prophet. I guess we all have favorites, right? Uh, Moshe was yes. clearly, uh, yeah, was, well, actually, no, Dode was, uh, yeah, was favorite prophet. Um, Dode's my favorite person in the overall testimony, and, and Dode's clearly one of the three greatest prophets. Uh, and Moshe, from Yahweh's perspective, was the greatest prophet not so much because of the prophecy he revealed, but because of his overall role as the liberator of God's people. Uh, and God specifies mm-hmm. it that way. But, and I'm not certain that uh, God would concur with this, but um, uh, my personal favorite prophet is Yahshua. Uh, I enjoy his uh, vocabulary. I enjoy his writing style. I enjoy his passion. Um, I think the sweeping uh, insights that he reveals are uh, extraordinary. And we are kindred spirits in, uh, in a sense, um, in that uh, Yashaya goes out of his way to explain uh, the role that we would play in future events when it came to making his prophecy better understood by his people. So... It is in Yashaya, and we are coming near the end of the eighth chapter. And as we have said, the reason we are covering this chapter in a volume called Shana, which is posted uh, online at yadaya.com, which means to know uh, yadaya.com. It is uh, free there on the bookshelf. You'll find it is volume seven of the Yadaya series. It is the, I think, the 22nd book that we put on the uh, the shelf uh, there. It's also available in print uh, at uh, Amazon Books. But we're covering this because the intent is to provide the proper perspective to understand what 
I think is the single most misapplied and misunderstood prophecy in the entirety of uh, Yahweh's revelation. Not saying a lot, considering what uh, Christians have done mm-hmm. to to misapply them and take everything Yahweh has said of Dode and apply it to their misnomer Jesus. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, I think this is the uh, the most abused statement, and it is in Yeshua nine six and seven. Uh, most know it because of the opening line: "Unto us a child is born; unto us a son mm-hmm. is given." Yeah. And then it, it mm-hmm. speaks uh, of some rather extraordinary descriptors of what this individual will bring to us. And it is my contention, uh, and I am absolutely certain of this, and I don't think it is even possible to read the text and to come to any other conclusion, that the person being discussed is singular. And it ain't Jesus. It's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when they say, what's your first clue, Sherlock? Uh, my first clue was that there's only one there's only one name mentioned in the prophecy. And that happens to be, and that happens to be uh, Dode. So I guess you don't have to be the smartest uh, guy in the world. No, room even I can, to I'm Malibu, it out. I can figure that out. But, but I have to tell you, okay, so it's obvious. And we're going into all of this in the, uh, the eighth chapter uh, because context makes it all the more obvious. Um, so why have Christians for 2,000 years uh, falsely claimed this prophecy on behalf of their misnomer, Jesus Christ? That's uh, a, a reasonable question. Yeah. And since yeah. it obviously speaks of Dode and the superlatives are extraordinary, why aren't Jews celebrating the life and lyrics of Joe David. Those are questions that deserve an answer, and I'm not aware of, uh, of one. And when, this is uh, 819 now from Yashiyah, it mm-hmm. means Yahweh liberates, delivers, protects, and saves from a combination of Yasha and Yah. And when, Wahki, so to the contrary, rather instead, they say to you, so this is the religious establishment speaking to uh, Israelites, you should consult with Darish. You should choose to seek previously unknown information, expecting answers. Resort to petition and ponder. Seriously consider revelations. Call imperative. Call is uh, the voice of, uh, of literal interpretations within a relationship. Uh, so these morons are serious about this. And in mm-hmm. the uh, imperative, the imperative is one of three volitional voices in uh, Hebrew. The imperative expresses choice in the second person. So you should uh, consult, you should choose, uh, you, it should be your desire. So they're speaking uh, to the desires of, uh, of those obviously easily beguiled. You should consult with the mediums who speak for those who lived in the past, 
It's La'ob. Those who claim to communicate with the enlightened sages who have passed away or the ghosts of the dead, a conjunction of Ab, fathers, and or uh, light. So fathers of light, enlightened fathers. Enlightened fathers. Now, that's a really interesting term because if you uh, have skirted the uh, diatribe of, of rabbinic Judaism, you'll recognize that they cite deceased rabbis 100 to 1 over Yahweh. Well, they never cite Yahweh yes. by name. 100 to but, 0. But, but, it's, yeah. but it's a, uh, yeah, in terms of yeah. name citations, it's, mm-hmm. uh, yes. it's um, millions upon millions to 0. But even if you forget Implied for a moment God. that they never mm-hmm. use Yahweh's name, uh, then it is uh, it's, it's typically 100 to 1 of uh, citations of dead rabbis. Uh, there, I don't think there has ever been a religion that has paid greater homage uh, to uh, supposed sages of the past. Uh, they have shown a reverence for these men. They venerate these men. Uh, these men and their words mean vastly more to a religious Jew than does God or his testimony. And so this is speaking directly of Judaism. Now, I recognize that there was ancestor worship and, uh, mm-hmm. and imperial Japan. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, they weren't turning the words of their ancestors into scripture, creating a religion out of the, the scribbles and, and sayings of uh, their deceased, which is exactly what Judaism is. So, and when they say to you, you should choose to consult with the mediums uh, who speak for those who lived in the past and the spiritualists. This is uh, Ha Yadaone, those claiming to possess spiritual insights such as Kabbalah, uh, revealing troublesome knowledge gleaned from the spiritual world, providing invalid and antagonizing information from Yada to know and claim familiarity and Oni (laughs) to vex and grieve. So this is being familiar with really agonizing uh, and vexing information. Mm-hmm. Who mediate and mutter unfounded sentiments. Who ruminate over highly selective information to express their willful and imaginative opinions. This is ha haga. Uh, this is saying that Judaism is a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's a conspiracy to lead yes. the people away from God. And who twitter toxic musings. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> who chirp like birds. He, he did that and on purpose, mutter. right? I yeah, I, 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 my <laughs> guess is he did. But <laughs> yeah. I don't think he yeah. has it out for Elon Musk. I don't think he really knows Elon Musk. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm but not uh, about nonetheless, um, just a show off thing. <laughs> they they just, just a little showing off here. If you're God, you might as well flaunt it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Instead, God says, instead, shouldn't the people, ha, lo, am, uh, as a rhetorical question, 
would it not be mm-hmm. better for the family to consult with their God through the living, not the dead? Hmm. So yeah. God's saying, hey, they're dead. I'm not. Why do you care what they do? Yeah. Now, there is an exception to reading the words of somebody who is dearly departed. That is, if those words are proven to have been inspired by Yahweh, who, so that what you're reading is the voice of the living. You're reading the voice of the living God as conveyed through his prophets. But since these rabbis cannot prove inspiration, in fact, they prove that they were not inspired, it's simply the words of dead men. If you want to join them, believe them. But shouldn't mm-hmm. the people consult with their God through the living instead of the dead? Now, the other inference here, and you know this might be a stretch, but uh, since it comes up so often in uh, Yeshua, and just three chapters hence, the entire chapter is on this particular subject. Uh, Yeshua is writing to a time in his future, our uh, present and past. And what he's saying is that rabbinic Judaism has become nothing but an echo chamber of the rhetoric of deceased rabbis whom they venerate. And so God inspired Yahshua to tell those Yehudim, Jews, who wish to reconcile their relationship with him, come to know him and engage in the covenant, that it would be a lot better to learn what God has to say through a person who is still living. Now, there aren't a lot of people writing to Jews about Yahweh that you could listen to on this day apart from what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, with the answer to this question, it was a rhetorical question, so obvious. Why do just one in a million consult with God through the living? Why do billions listen instead to dead men like Paul who can't prove any prophetic inspiration, can't prove an inspiration for any word he wrote. In fact, he proves that he was not inspired. Same is true with Akiba. Same is true with Mahmoudis. Same is true with Muhammad. Every Christian saint, the sages among the rabbinic Talmudists, and successful suicide bombers share more than death. Common. (laughs) Now, you should know that Al translated as not at the conclusion of the uh, sentence and written as Aleph Lamed can be translated as either El or Al. And as a noun, El is Almighty God. As a preposition, El is translated to or toward, by, among, or for. But Al is also a, uh, um, a term that is used to negate a verb. And there's a number mm-hmm. of these in Hebrew. The most common is lo. Uh, and so by using all in this particular case, the likely intent is that 
God is trying to negate what uh, follows. So, uh, it so if and if it is negating here, it would be uh, negating ha muth. So it seemed logical to select the definition which best fits the context of the discussion. Now there were several words that I found uh, amusing in the Iowa's declaration. A yada oni, a spiritualist, is yada familiar with oni, as we mentioned, vexing grief and agony. That's the person I would run down the street and pay big bucks to uh, listen to. How about you? Uh, <laughs> just speculating here, but not much uh-huh. benefit in consulting with somebody who's no. going to tell you all the wonderful ways you can afflict yourself. Oh, uh, no. Second, no. Uh, Haga, which was translated as who mediate and mutter unfounded sentiments, speaks of ruminating over highly selective information to devise a plot and express a woefully imaginative opinion. This, of course, is the essence of conspiracy Mm -hmm. theories. Isolated information is removed from the context of an event while all non-corroborating information uh, is discarded. Then, while the conspiratorialist ruminates on their highly selective opinions, they mix in a plethora of bizarre theories. To their credit, they at least know that we are ruled by reptilian overlords on a flat earth with chemtrails. <laughs> and political actors uh, conducting mass murders. Uh, yes, and designing vaccines that are really uh, satanic plagues uh, designed to uh, uh, attract the good little boys and girls. Yes. And third, as it relates to this passage, 2,700 years ago, as we shared a moment ago, uh, Twitter uh, was invented uh, knowing that social media would be the primary conduit of the crazies. Yashaya wrote that they would uh, safa use Twitter to tweet their debilitating venom. venom. Yeah. 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 Social media has become the neurotoxin for this comatose generation. Now, that doesn't mean that everything on social media is a neurotoxin. That would be unfair. No, but it's a tool uh, for those who want yeah, to. Yeah, there, there's, there's at least one-tenth of one percent of it that has some merit. You know, most of it now is uh, voyeurism. My life is so boring. I need to spy on somebody else's pretense of a life to feel like I actually have a life. And, of course, the person is presenting the pretense of their life who wants you to know that uh, they had uh, green eggs and ham for lunch is projecting (laughs) an entirely false narrative of their life, which is then being... Uh, viewed voriistically by the person that has no life at all, which is worse than the person that has no magic. Finds this interesting, yeah. So it's yeah, it's really if you find that interesting, you know, go for it. Go but, for it. <laughs> not uh, not uh. particularly recommending it. According to the Torah, uh, this is now continuation. This is uh, Yasha Isaiah eight twenty. According to the Torah which means source of teaching, guidance, instruction, and direction. 
and according to the written testimony, which presents correct and corroborating information regarding restoration. Tauda, the authorized documentation regarding the confirmation of the relationship agreement pertaining to an inheritance that is a compound of Torah, source of guidance, instruction, direction, Mm -hmm. and teaching, and Ud, to repeatedly testify about restoration and to continually bear an affirming witness. We don't see uh, Ta'uda very often. I, I did count how many times it's used in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms, but I do know I've been doing this for 21 years, and this may be the only time that I've translated it. It was new to me. I did it it as well, yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful word, though. So we have here, according to the Torah, a source of of teaching, guidance, direction, and uh, direction, and according to the written testimony, which presents correct and corroborating information regarding restoration, ta'uda, they do not speak in a manner consistent with this specific message and the way that it is worded, then as a result, they lack discernment and are without enlightenment in their approach to Shakar. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So one of the things that uh, caused uh, questioning Paul, which was first written at about uh, 600 pages. Uh, the next rewrite was 800 pages, then 900 pages, and then 1,200 pages, and now it's four volumes. And I think the four volumes are like 2,500 pages. The reason it grew so long is really straightforward. Paul does not speak in a manner that is either consistent with the Torah, consistent with the written testimony, which presents the correct and cooperating information regarding restoration. And he does not speak in a manner that is consistent with how God's word is worded. And so it's hard to say, okay, I know I have presented a thousand nails that I have hammered into his coffin where he has contradicted Yahweh. But this next one is also relevant. And where do you stop? But that's also the reason why uh, my wife walked out on me. I'm sorry to to say that my wife did walk out on me uh, three times uh, yesterday. Uh, Why I didn't go back and remove uh, Rabbi Sampson's uh, great uh, and inspired oratory is because Every paragraph was filled with, uh, yeah, with confessions. So, um, the Quran, you know, I've, I've written Prophet of Doom. It's a thousand-page book that takes the, uh, the chronologically uh, recorded hadith from Muhammad and his companions and uses them to reorder the Quran and set it chronologically into the context of Muhammad's life. Uh, I don't know how you shorten the book when no. virtually everything he says is inconsistent with other things that he's said uh, and wholly inconsistent with the Torah, 
Oh, yeah, he claims saying, yeah. that it confirms the Torah. So this is the nature of those three religions. And it is also the nature of the minor religions as well. But of the, the three so-called Abrahamic religions, of course, Abraham did not have a religion. He had a relationship. Uh, they all do this very thing. Uh, their testimony is inconsistent with the word of God. And when that is the case, then the individual is without enlightenment and they are speaking of Shakar. Mm-hmm. Now, Shakar is not somebody you want to have an up-close and personal relationship with. Uh, Shakar mm-hmm. is the adversary's last name. Well, you know, in Hebrew, it is uh, Yosha ben Nun. Uh, so it's Yosha, son of Nun. Uh, and uh, Satan's name is Halel ben Shakar. Shakar speaks of uh, the uh, rising and setting sun. It's it's this time where uh, there is very little light. Uh, Things are are gloomy uh, and uh, where... the shadows are elongated. Things are, mm-hmm. are even miscolored sometimes by the hue. Uh, and it speaks of the sun, which is the primary ruse of pagan gods, including the Christian mm-hmm. god. You know, they wear the sun disc halos. Um, they uh, um, use the, the cross, which is a sun god symbol. Uh, they have the church steeples which uh, is like an obelisk designed to catch the first and the last rays of Shakar at the, at the end of the day. Uh, uh, even Christmas and Easter, those are sun god-related holidays where the mm-hmm. sun crosses the uh, constellation of Taros the bull at the vernal equinox and is said to have impregnated the earth such uh, that nine months later the son of the sun is born, which would be, of course, Christmas Day. Uh, so this is not a good thing. You, you do not want to be approaching, you know, it's one thing to be called ignorant by God, unenlightened, but it's far worse to be called satanic. Mm-hmm. And that's what this reference is all about. The 14th chapter of Yashaya, which um, uh, is uh, presented in the Babel Confusion <laughs> chapter of volume four of observations even just reading that that seems the the time that i wrote that and edited it now Mm -hmm. seems like a lifetime ago but nonetheless it is there um in the babel confusion uh, chapter of volume four of observations we learn that satan's name is halel ben shakar brightly shining Mm -hmm. sun of darkness Halel ben Shakar depicts the adversary as the flashy and boastful child of the East. The devil is, East of Israel, of course, is Babylon. The devil is comprised of contrasts, hypocrisy, and contradictions, as light and darkness, enlightenment and obscurity. 
Hasatan is uh, an ostentatious show-off, a spiritual, energy-based being predisposed to mislead and to make others appear foolish as they descend into the darkness and gloom of a black hole. Shakar, Satan, is also known to us by the Canaanite and Phoenician religions. We find him, along with Baal, the Lord, throughout the Tel Rosh uh, Shamar uh, text, where Shakar is the name of the Canaanite and Phoenician god, of, of course, the rising sun. Uh, Imperial Japan would have loved him. The mm-hmm. mythology of Shakar refers to the dawn and its dim light emerging out of the darkness. So did you study a few of these words, Kirk? Because this is an interesting text, and particularly those two words. Yeah, I, so I, no matter what you find, they're all kind of negative on this passage, other than the first opening ones about the Torah remarks. But Shakar is... Uh, you know, light coming out of darkness is the name of Hasatan. I mean, there's nowhere you can go where you won't verify what you just said. A law can only temporary light in the path ultimately to darkness, Sheol. So um, I thought that interesting commentary. And then, uh, um, and even the uh, the words were blocked off from the observant man. If you look at the pictographs, you've got the words, uh, and then you have a, yeah. a chet in the middle, and then you have a roach at the end. So. Yeah, yeah, you know, what's interesting, is, um, uh, Kirk, problem. is that mm-hmm. Yahweh is never presented as a light and darkness. No. Uh, yeah, Yahweh's light. light is so he brilliant, is it, elim- it eliminates the darkness. Right. Uh, Yahweh will, will personally avoid uh, entering a dark place where uh, people are uh, religious or political. Uh, the mm-hmm. ultimate dark place is a black hole. Black would be your first clue. Hole would be your second. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And so Yahweh light never emerges from darkness, but instead eliminates darkness. Yeah. It well, you said a long it, it, time ago. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you said a long time ago, you know, where when the light comes on, where does the dark, when you turn on the light, where does the darkness go? Well, it's, it just it doesn't exist anymore. It I doesn't mean, exist so anymore. when he's, when your light, when his light is, in you, um, he can see no. He can see no darkness. It just isn't That's there. Right. But I, I yeah. thought it interesting when you return. It's returns, not actually. When, he can't see any darkness. There is no darkness. Well, it doesn't yeah. exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Yes, probably yeah. I should have said that. But yeah. uh, it's, better than it's when being he returns, is, is to is to yeah. have nothing even He's to be forgiven perfect, for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's it's what a plan. Yeah, it's a really great uh, <laughs> term. Uh, this. Uh, uh, Shakar, uh, uh, in terms of describing what uh, Satan is all about, um, this uh, dim light, this light out of the darkness, and and Shakar's uh, affinity with um, with the sun, which was the chief deity of almost every religion. And when you look at, particularly at the Roman Catholic Church, you'll find sun god edifices and references oh. everywhere, well, hey, on little everything. sunbursts yeah. everywhere. And the, mm-hmm. and the halo disc, and even they uh, they wear the little round beanie cap that was mm-hmm. so prevalent uh, among the Greeks that does uh, the uh, uh, the kippa or uh, yarmulke worn by uh, religious Jews. Um, again, it's a sun god halo or uh, or disc 
Uh, and uh, it's just sad that they would do it. And many of them will even put the star of David on it. Now, as we know, <laughs> David did not have a star, but no. the, the sun is a star. And, the, and what God is saying here is that when you are using uh, solar and stellar imagery to convey uh, your affinity for or reverence for a being, then the being you are worshiping is Satan. Hello. No. So every time you see the star of David uh, on a religious text or religious image, you need to keep in mind that it is uh, satanic, um, so according to God. It's, just, it's very much like all of the Christian imagery. They're satanic. Now, in Islam, um, uh, Allah's a little wimpy. He, he went for a second fiddle. Went for the moon. Uh, and yeah, the, moon uh, you know, the, the bride of the sun is, um, is the moon. Uh, moon god was called Sin, which is, seems like an appropriate name for uh for for the islamic god but this is, just, uh, this is too good this that, is just yeah too good. nonetheless is uh it's true they even have verses in the quran where the uh, the moon and the uh, the sun are engaged in a uh in a race uh it says that uh the uh the moon was once a sun but it was uh, effaced uh and uh, uh and ceased uh being one uh by being humiliated i guess it lost the race too many times. No. Uh, I think one time it actually fell out of its chariot, which would explain then uh, what happens and make it quite uh, not quite as stupid. Uh, bad things happen when, when uh, you fall out of your uh, chariot. chariot yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the things I learned by uh, by studying the Quran is um, uh, well that and of course the creation account where we we learn that uh, Adam uh, and colors because uh, Allah created humankind after uh, different colors of uh, muddy and stinking slime. And of course, it is mm. nice uh, by, when you read the Quran, if you were wondering where the sun goes to bed at night, it is in a murky spring. And, and should you wonder if anybody's ever been to the murky spring? Yes, there's an answer for that too. Alexander the Great went there. Uh, and should you wonder if uh, Alexander the Great was the first Muslim? Yes, the answer is he was a Muslim. And he went to preach to the extraterrestrials. Yes, indeed, there are extraterrestrials. I don't know if they're reptilians. But uh, um, Alexander the Great uh, went there, according to the Quran, and preached to the extraterrestrials uh, that live uh, in and or around, uh, I don't know if they're aquatic creatures or not, uh, the muddy spring where the sun goes to bed at night. Uh, so there are some um, 1.5 billion people like this. Yeah, yeah right? th there are some insights uh, worth uh, wearing a tent over your head uh, on behalf of. Uh, then they will pass through it, stubborn and stiff-necked, strong-willed and perplexed, often uh, starving and famished. And it will come to pass when they are malnourished and weakened, they will come, become antagonized and provoked to anger, struggling with their change in status. Their status will diminish and they will be treated with contempt as a result of their propensity to slander and insult the reputation of their king and of their God, turning away while being unfaithful 
in the relationship. Now, there's really an interesting tidbit here where they will slander and insult the reputation of their king. Yeah, said some positive things about Solomon when he was a a young and bright boy, um, but not much good about him uh, later in life. Uh, There's a couple of of moments where Hezekiah was was a pretty righteous dude, but it didn't end well for him. Um, There were three or four kings and the long list of kings who were right when it comes to God. But the overwhelming majority of them were uh, horrible human beings. So God's not, in fact, even uh, when the people said they wanted a king, uh, Yahweh said they want a king because they're rejecting me. And by choosing a king, these are the 12 things that are going to happen to them that are going to make their lives miserable. And, you know, uh, he then delineates them. And we we get the the, uh, fire hose approach to, God does not want us honoring kings, mm-hmm. with one exception. That same guy again. No. Yes. And so you have this statement in Yeshaya 8.21, preceding that glorious prophecy in uh, 9, 6, and 7, and it's talk, talking about um, they're being humiliated, they're being degraded, because they had a propensity to insult the reputation of their king and their God, turning away while being unfaithful in the relationship. Well, he's speaking of the one king that was so magnificent in his leadership that Yahweh is not only bringing him back to... Uh, protect his people, lead his people, uh, counsel his people uh, upon his return. But he's giving him a sovereign rule over the entire universe for all time. So from the very beginning, those who have chosen to call themselves rabbis, great, what rabbi means. It does not mean teacher. It's from rob. It means uh, to be exceedingly great, uh, not that they are, have uh, shown a deplorable lack of humility. And it is this unwarranted air of superiority that has turned so many people against Jews. It is rabbis who have devastated God's people. If there had been no rabbis, there would have been no Christianity. Paul was a failed rabbi. If there had been no rabbis, there would have been no Islam. Muhammad ran out of Hanith poems to plagiarize and steal. And most of the Quran is stories that were recited to him from the Babylonian Talmud by rabbis, which he then twisted to serve his interests. And as it would transpire with rabbis 
condemning everyone, including the Jews who don't agree with their religious interpretation, um, rabbis became a um, um, kind of their own personal reflection of what people then saw in the ethnicity as a whole. They came to symbolize the worst of Jews. They are greedy. Mm -hmm. They're the highest paid clerics in the world. Uh, They uh, demand um, respect when they are amongst the least respectful people in the world. The propensity for child abuse, the propensity for uh, rape uh, and sexual uh, assault is higher with rabbis than it is with Roman Catholic priests. The propensity of the religious to cover over the egregious behavior of rabbis is far greater than it is in the Roman Catholic Church to cover over the sins of the priests. If it were not for rabbis, it is likely that Jews and Yahweh, Yehudim and Yahweh, would have reconciled their relationship long ago. But because of the rabbis, they have never been further apart. With their ridiculously religious, money-grubbing, kosher laws, they have weakened and malnourished the people consistent with this statement. And in the process of elevating their words and edict over God's, they have antagonized and provoked the Almighty. Now, mind you, there is very, very little in the kosher laws that has anything to do with God's testimony. Uh, in typical religious fashion, they took two or three statements that God made where, you know, eating the flesh of swine uh, is a bad idea. Uh, yes. And they, uh, you know, he uh, talks about bottom fishing or bottom dwelling uh, uh, fish without yeah. scales, like catfish. That's mm-hmm. a bad Not idea. a good idea. You know, you, and then he talks about crustaceans, uh, the um, uh, the scavengers of the uh, the ocean, mm-hmm. uh, things like yeah. uh, crabs and shrimps and the filter fish, and saying, yeah, that's a bad idea too. And it's true that until very recently, probably the last 50 years, most of those things would get you killed. They were the most mm-hmm. prone to carrying uh, disease and God's instructions were wise. This is not healthy for you to eat. Uh, uh, later, of course, in the body, God says, you know, eat whatever you want. You, you know, he's all about freedom. Eat whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Just do it thoughtfully. Be mindful. Yeah, be yeah. mindful of what you eat. Uh, in other words, I gave you some instructions that are helpful and healthful, uh, you, you may want to pay attention to them. Uh, but God did not have any rules. And, you know, this whole nonsense of uh, you can't drink wine unless it's uh, approved yeah. by the rabbis, supervised by the rabbis. God said no such thing. You can't drink milk unless a rabbi uh, was there to watch you. They didn't milk the cow. Of course, that would be real work. Uh, watch the cow being milked and get paid for it, and then watch it be processed uh, you can't uh, drink that either. Uh, there's no edict against milk. No. There's no suggestion that 
milk has to be supervised. And then they go one step further. They said that you can't have, well, they go about a mile further, you can't eat milk and dairy at the same time. You can't even wash the plates in the same sink. Can't, can't have it on the same plate. Can't wash the plates in the same sink. Can't use the same utensils. Have to eat one many hours after the other. Why? Well, you'd have to ask them. They claim it's because uh, God said don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Well, <laughs> God's saying that isn't a healthy way to prepare the uh, the meat. Plus, as a metaphor, it's really disgusting. You know, the, yes. the whole idea that, uh, you know, eat, eat a mature yeah. uh, uh, goat or lamb. Don't eat a baby. Uh, you know, this whole veal thing is pretty sadistic. Uh, yes. and, uh, and second... Uh, milk is the means of, of providing, uh, is to nurture. Milk ought not be used as, quite, a, quite as a way right, to yeah. boil um, a, a, a baby goat. So there, there are symbolic issues here. There's health uh, issues here. There's squandering something that's nurturing here. And there's the, uh, the whole idea that we ought not take the life of a, uh, of a baby. Uh, and uh, we uh, we ought not uh, squander uh, the uh, the nurturing nature of a, of a mother or the way that she would feed her child. All of those things are uh, are essential for us to know. But where they got from that is can't have them in the same meal, can't have them on the same plate, can't even at the same time, can't even wash them in the same uh, uh, sink. Talk about sink. stupid. No. And. No. And religious Jews, they just lap that shit up like it was, you know, golden yeah. apples falling from heaven. And it just isn't. Mm. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the stories where Abraham is uh, entertaining Yahweh, Yahweh stopped by, they're going to have a little chat, and Sarah runs into the tent and, uh, and feeds them a, a Jewish hamburger. <clears throat> he prepares some yeah. uh, meat uh, and a little uh, cheese and serves them up together. Yeah, it's a Jewish... Uh, Jewish cheeseburger. Yeah, that's not that's a taboo, huh? So, yeah, so I, I don't think yeah. God has the same view. So yeah. it's just this overall all sense of uh, of making up stupid rules and trying to justify them to control people's lives, debilitate them, keep them so tied up in their underwear that they can't see far enough to actually read or care about what Yahweh has to say. So the money grubbers will find every possible way to control and fleece the people. They elevate their words and edicts above God's. <laughs> they have antagonized and provoked the Almighty to the point that he will rid the world of them upon his return. By having insulted and slandered Yahweh, they have been unfaithful, creating an Adonai in their own image. Mm -hmm. The Malek whose reputation has been upended by uh, the religious is Dode. The man Yahweh selected to be king. They do not recognize him as the son of God. They don't speak of him as the Messiah. They don't understand that he is the one who is returning. Mm -hmm. 
and this from a father's perspective is insulting. This is the consequence of being misled. It is why Yahweh despises religion. This is Yahshua Isaiah 8.22. Unto the land they will look, but behold, they will see uh, disfavor. They will see darkness with discouraging oppression. And to a place devoid of light, they will be driven and stray. Boy, to hear these rabbis write of Eretz Yisrael as if it they were their own a little fiefdom, the place yes. where the Majid's uh, inspirations were pure and without dross. So God is saying, yeah, they're going to look uh, don't give the land, space. but what's actually going to be there is disfavor, anguish and trouble, distress, unfavorable circumstances, and darkness. They will find discouraging oppression. Boy, if the insights in Israel were so good, why with the emergence of the rabbis did everything turn so bad? It had been rough for Israel uh, uh, as a whole under the Assyrians, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Under the Babylonians, even the Yehudim were, were hauled away, but they got to come back. And then during the, uh, the assaults by the Greeks, uh, the Greeks had their influence, but they were not oppressive overseers. Uh, Romans initially um, invaded Israel. They sent the legions to Israel uh, because of of two Jews that were engaged in infighting as to who would be king and who would be chief priest. And it wasn't good enough for one to be king, the other one to be chief priest, because the job of chief priest was a lot more lucrative. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... With the birth of rabbinic Judaism being uh, late 1st, early 2nd century CE, everything changed. So if if the rabbis are supposed to receive really, really super special divine revelation and prophecy in Eretz Yisrael, then why did Akiba recognize a false messiah? Why did that lead to the Roman invasion and yeah. the diaspora, to Jews being hauled into Europe as slaves? Why did that start 2,000 years of hell for God's people? If the father of rabbinic Judaism, Rabbi Akiba, had such a brilliant and unfettered access to the truth, to prophetic revelation, why did he get everything wrong? And why do Jews venerate him? when he brought more hell on God's people than anyone who's ever lived. It's worth considering, don't you think? Yes. I mean, at what point do you get it? I obviously... Uh, the answer is, uh, be, yeah. is uh, early in 2033. 
And make no mistake, they have done this to themselves. They chose this fate. They abandoned God, giving him no choice but to disinherit them. Now, that is not to say that he has replaced them with anyone else. He has not. It's not to uh, say that he won't ultimately reconcile his relationship with them. He will. But for over a hundred generations, there hasn't been a single Jew who has proclaimed Yahweh's name, shared his Torah teachings, or engaged in a covenant relationship with him. Not until quite recently, only beginning about 20 years ago. Well, Kirk, this is the conclusion of Yashaya 8. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, comprised of words which lead to an understanding of the most misappropriated prophecy in the entire text of the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It mm-hmm. is addressing events that will transpire prior to God's return with his son. And since Dode is the only Malek who would be associated with Yahweh in this way, since he is the king of Israel at the time that this prophecy is addressing, we have been afforded a rather critical insight as to who God is addressing. Now, keep in mind, too, this is the end of chapter 8. Says mm-hmm. says the religious establishments. I think it was originally a guy riding on his horse that that uh, came up yeah, with so, this uh, uh, notion of, of France, putting yeah. uh, numbers on it. Now, mm-hmm. I, I see one benefit of it. it. It makes it a lot easier for me to look up the Hebrew text. It makes it easier for me to convey to you, listeners, and in the books, to readers, what it is that we're uh, talking about. We put a nice index up, and you can say, I, I think that word is, or that concept is presented in such and such a, what we call it a Torah address, and you can mm-hmm. go right to it. So there are some advantages. The great disadvantage is there is this mistake that you can take yeah. a chapter out of context and understand uh, that chapter, but you can't. Uh, it, too much of the meaning is lost without that context. Or they, even worse, that you can take a verse, which is defined by one of these chapter and, uh, and sentence numbers, and you could take it out of context, cite some or all of it, and that that is sufficient. Well, that's the way that Paul went about creating Christianity taking statements out of context and twisting them to his satisfaction, misappropriating them. So just because we're at the end of what we call the eighth chapter, understand in the original text, there was no demarcation for what was uh, said here in what we now call uh, Isaiah 8.22 and 9.1. Mm-hmm. One paragraph ended, and the uh, the next began. 
the context of God's unrelenting admonition against conspiracies uh, was one of the themes of this particular chapter. And what follows is particularly insightful in that regard. And that is because the most debilitating became the most popular. The single most popular conspiracy today isn't actually blame the Jews, although that is a subset of it. Mm -hmm. Replacement theology. This conspiracy that God got mad at Jews because they killed him. And that because they killed him, they were no longer deserving of a of a special relationship being the chosen people. And so all of the promises that he had made to them would now be transferred to a Gentile church of which there is no mention and only adverse commentary as it relates to the ethnicity. Now that's a pretty harebrained idea. Replacement. Yeah. I hate, uh, I hate religion, so I'm going to give it to a religion. All the promises yeah, so to a religion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, 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 the issue with that is it, it makes God a liar. Yeah. It suggests that Christians are right, that Jews killed God. Can so, kill God. That's not much of a God. Read Chabaouk. And, yeah. of course, if uh, – yeah, that's right. Chabaouk says, come on, God, they can't kill you. You can't, no more. You can't kill you. Yeah. 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 Uh, and if Jews, you know, actually killed this make-believe God, wouldn't you be worshiping the Jews? <laughs> They're pretty good. But yeah. But beyond all of that, the uh, the God projected His nephesh soul into Yosha yeah. for a singular purpose to serve as the Pesach El. The Pesach El has a singular responsibility to die to nourish and benefit the, uh, those celebrating Pesach. Uh, the Jews were supposed to kill the Pesach Gael. It can't become the Passover lamb unless it's prepared for consumption. You don't eat it alive. And so if they are to be blamed for what the Roman Catholic Church accuses them of, we should be thankful. Because the Passover lamb is only valuable uh, when its life is uh, taken as a substitute for uh, our own. Uh, So none of that is true. But then then you get beyond that part of it to the idea that there are countless. I, I, I mean, there are thousands upon thousands of prophecies addressing the last of days. When Yahweh is returning to reconcile his relationship with Yisrael and Yahudah, where all of the prophecies pertain to God's interaction with Yisrael and Yahudah. If, in fact, the Christian church replaced Yisrael, then why didn't God say so? Is God's prophecies negated, making him a false prophet, because he didn't recognize that, oh, Jews were going to kill him, therefore he was going to have to write them out of his story and write Jews or Gentiles in. But he forgot to tell us that when he was revealing future events so that all of his future prophecies are wrong. 
or is there a, a secret code in there that every time it says Dode, God didn't know the name of that uh, that other guy, Jesus, and so since he never wrote Jesus anywhere, that when he wrote Dode, he really meant to say Jesus. There got that big a dunderhead. Why is there no reference to anything that could even approximate Christian to be found? And all of those prophetic texts, if that's supposed to be the big deal of prophecy. Not once, ever. Anything even remotely close to it. Why isn't there a mention of Jesus? Why isn't there a single prophecy that names Jesus? Not one. Why is there no description of a church replacing the covenant? Why is there no indication that Goyim, Gentiles, are going to replace Jews, if that's such a, an important event. If there's going to be a religion based on replacement theology, you think God might have predicted it? Yes, but he and didn't. so if you are a religious Jew, why aren't you able to defend God's position against the myth of the religion that has tortured you for 2,000 years. Are you that unaware of God's position? The answer appears to be yes. So replacement theology, which essentially means take everything away from Jews and give it to the Gentile church. This is the reason for the upcoming prophecy. It's the reason the prophecy in Yeshaya 9, 6, and 7 exists. It tells us it should not have been mistranslated and misappropriated, claiming for the Christian Jesus, which Yahweh had clearly conveyed about Dode. How is it that there could be a Christian New Testament that claims to replace the Torah, to obsolete the Torah, when when Yahweh returns, according to his prophet Jeremiah, that the first thing he's going to do is put his Torah inside of us. Oops. How can there be, as there is in the Christian New Testament, a Lord, Jesus Christ, when Yahweh says through Hosha, when he returns, the one thing that he will Never. absolutely forbid is the mention of that title, the Lord, ever again. Oops. Mm-hmm. Not only is Christianity the most pervasive anti-Semitic conspiracy in world history, the overwhelming preponderance of those prone to believe conspiracies are critical of Jews. And to a very, very significant extent. The very root of this is found in the corruption of Yashaya 9. As we turn the page in our current Bibles, Tanakh, and enter the ninth chapter of Yashaya, we discover that there is no excuse for the religious, political, militant, and conspiratorial darkness that has engulfed Israel 
all the wild Jews have had their fingertips at the means to access Yah's light. Indeed, truthfully and nevertheless key. There has been no lack of counsel. There's been no reason for discouragement. There should have been no inability to flee the darkness. Lo muaf lahi. There has been no reason for doom and gloom, for despair or dejection, because there has been no shortage of advice and wisdom on how to take flight for those subjugated and constrained along the way. La Asher Mustak. For those restricted and oppressed, for those deprived of liberty who have endured hardships during distressing times as a result of this relationship. As there was during the previous time, when he receded from the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephali. In this later time, during the last days, he will deal harshly with the troublesome nature of the way of the sea beyond the Yarden, which means to go down, of Yalil, the circuitous and convoluted way of the Goyim Gentiles. Okay, that's nine one. I'm going to read it without all of the amplification because it's hard to follow it okay. with that much uh, insight. And then we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, this because there's lots of insights to be gleaned from it. Indeed, there has been no lack of counsel, no reason for discouragement, nor inability to flee from the darkness for those subjugated and constrained along the way, as there was in the previous time when he receded from the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. In this latter time, during the last days, he will deal harshly with the troublesome nature of the way of the sea, beyond the Yarden, who go down, of Galil, the circuitous and convoluted way of the Goyim Gentiles. But just the end of this, if you read 9, 6, and 7 in context, it can't be speaking of the founder of a Gentile religion. Because God is saying, ha, ha, I'm going to deal harshly with the Goyim. And you can't have it both ways. So you just can't have it that way. That's the reason they take it out of context. God's not saying, hey, I'm going to start a new religion with the Goyim, and I'm going to deal harshly with the Jews. The introduction to the chapter undermines the premise of the Christian misappropriation. Okay, more to it than this. What God is saying is, listen, there was a time when he responded to uh, uh, two of the 12 tribes, uh, Zebulun and uh, Nephtali. He says, but you don't have that excuse. There is ample 
counsel. There's conspicuous revelation. There is no reason for you to be in the darkness. Why? At the Torah. Look at the Internet. The Torah, prophets, and Psalms are everywhere. There are Hebrew-English dictionaries for those who speak the most prevalent language in the world, the language spoken by Jews than any other English. You can do what we have done. Mm-hmm. Or, barring that, you can read what we have done. These books sit on a bookshelf called Yada Yah, to know Yahweh. They're all available to you free. We even use Tinkerbell, uh, Twitter, to, uh, to make you aware of this message from God to you. Yes. We have done 10,000 hours of radio broadcasts to bring his truth to you, to call you home. You can look on, go to, to David's God. Uh, it's a play on words of the uh, webmaster of uh, Yada Yah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cite the second link on the, uh, the uh, community, um, which you can click mm-hmm. off of on the, uh, the header on the Yada Yah site, yadayah.com. And you can go yeah. to the far right, and there's a, an index of the, of the Torah and Prophets and Psalms that we have quoted. And you can go to anything that God says that we have quoted. And I want to tell you, click on, on, on it, and it just goes on and on and on. Yes, we have does. taken the time to translate Yahweh's message in such a way that it communicates clearly, accurately, and powerfully to you. And then have shared the insights that we can glean from it. There is no reason for you to live in the darkness today. Yes, Jews have been subjugated, but they've been subjugated and they have been oppressed because of the likes of Rabbi Akiba and taunting Rome with the false Messiah. Now, there was a time where the truth was not ubiquitous. It was written in the Torah. It was available in the prophets and the Psalms, but those scrolls were not widely distributed. And so it was, if the leaders were corrupt, the people would have a difficult time finding the truth. That's why God is so opposed to human governance. And then the people are under a religious umbrella. They're going to be misled. Because it's different now. You have access to the truth. You have no excuse. And then just in case, Yahweh recognized that the most popular conspiracy of all time, replacement theology within the Roman Catholic Church becoming Christianity, would pretend that this prophecy that is forthcoming took place 2,000 years ago. 33 CE. He's saying, no, no, no. This is about the last days. This is about you today. I want you to know this because this will help you come to know who I am, what I'm offering, 
and what I'm expecting in return. And it's important for you to know that this whole myth of replacement theology and therefore Christianity and to a lesser degree Islam is a pile of patooey. That God says, I am going to be against the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in opposition to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. The way of the sea seems like just a throwaway line. No. But it actually isn't for two reasons. One is the sea here is being explained as representing Goyim. The mm-hmm. land is represents as a metaphor for Israelites. The sea is a metaphor for Goyim. So every time we see a reference to the sea, we can understand it based on this context. So that's, that's kind of a nice insight. Mm-hmm. The second is that um, when I was uh, translating Hosha um, several days ago, before my wife walked out on me, um, I was... Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's going to lie. Well, actually, it's true. She did watch. She, she's a literalist. She's yeah. really into that. That is an accurate statement. She walked out on me three times in, in one morning. Um, but she came so back. You're going to read rabbinical garbage. You better at least make certain that I've had my breakfast. <laughs> and coffee twice. You only read a small amount at a time. <laughs> Can't take this anymore. Anyway, uh, I'm just having fun. Um, yeah, you know, this stuff. If you if you don't have a sense of humor, you uh, you just can't do this because it's, uh, it's not no, okay. It's so I was reading about the uh, the day of Jezreel, and it was speaking of of the uh, in the last days. This is the time where Israelists has one great opportunity to come back to Yahweh. It's exactly what he's talking about here. You, mm-hmm. uh, Yehudim, Jews living in these last days, have no excuse. It's the truth is available to you. And God is speaking of this day of Jezreel. And I was thinking, you know, we have always been told that Armageddon is the last ba- battle. But I started reading everything about the last battles, and I said, wait a minute. The last battles are fought in uh, Jerusalem. You might say it's the Valley of Jehoshaphat because his troops were uh, there defending Jerusalem. Everything is mm-hmm. about Jerusalem in the end. And Jezreel happens to be the location of Megiddo. Armageddon is the hill of Megiddo. Uh, that is a battle that transpires in a different place. And year could be, I don't know, you know, it doesn't tell us that if it's uh, a day before or years before, but it's more than a day because Israel uses the ruins uh, and the what's left behind of the uh, Islamic, the Magog Federation, this is Gog and mm-hmm. Magog presented in Ezekiel, God uses, or the people of Israel use what they have left behind for uh, a number of, uh, of months. And so it has to precede the final battle by, uh, by a considerable period of time. Mm-hmm. And so Armageddon is not the last battle. Uh, no. And so that was interesting. But one of the things that was, because uh, I was trying to find out where these things were taking place, and the, the battle in Jezreel, which is uh, 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 particularly around Megiddo, um, where Yahweh is going to personally assassinate uh, Gog 
and his Magog Federation wipe them out and incinerate them. Uh, it talks about the way of the sea. Well, the Jezreel Valley is the way of the sea. And so it's a way of referencing the, uh, the Jezreel Valley. But it's important here to say that the way of the sea is associated with Gentiles. The, uh, the Magog War is uh, the worst of the Gentiles. It's Muslims uh, that are coming to attack Israel. And the way that they are described, which I think is also uh, described in Yeshaya 18, is that they flood mm-hmm. into Israel. It's a great deluge of them, uh, yes. uh, probably in the, the range of 100 million. I just, for giggles, I said, okay, so what's the square, uh, how many square miles is the Jezreel Valley? Uh, just shy of uh, 100 square miles is the answer. Uh, and I looked up, you know, how much uh, does the average combatant take to be uh, properly equipped and so, uh, supplied uh, where they're on the march or, or bivouacked in an encampment? Uh, it's about uh, three uh, square yards. And so I, uh, I did the math, and it just so happens to come out that exactly 100 million people will fit wow. into the, uh, the Jezreel Valley. Very good. Uh, so Very nonetheless, good. It was, it was, it's an interesting I read. I don't so care. In, cool. in this statement, we have lots of, uh, of insights. And we are within um, 15 seconds of no longer broadcasting. We're going to continue to oh, record. Okay. So okay. we'll go ahead and talk a little bit more about this, and we'll pick up uh, uh, at this point in our program uh, next week. Okay. So for the millions of Jews who have suffered so grievously at the hands of conspiratorial, political, and religious Gentiles these past 3,000 years, yeah, and I go back 3,000 years because, you know, you've got the Assyrians. Uh, you, oh, yeah, right uh, after Solomon. Yeah, well, actually, you have the, the uh, Philistines um, and their modern incarnation, yeah. of course, the Palestinians. No, they're not modern incarnation. It's Smith. <laughs> but the Philistines, uh, you, uh, yeah. you certainly have uh, the Assyrians. You have the Babylonians. You have the, uh, the Greeks. Uh, you have uh, Imperial Rome and then the... Uh, uh, you have the Roman Catholic Church. You have mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, the uh, is wave of uh, of Muslims and all of their iterations. Yeah. Uh, the Nazis. Uh, it, it's been a bad go for the last three thousand years. Yes. And now Never you have the the ultimate dunderheads of uh, of uh, anti Semites. They call themselves progressives. Um, oh, fact, I was writing. I said, you know. Yahweh is going to try to resolve the problem of those who, um, who have been religious but are no more and who have been political but are no more. And, uh, but it's even beyond God to try to resolve the problem of uh, progressives. Uh, a completely unused brain uh, is not a novel idea. Uh, so Yahweh's assertion here is that, that his people – uh, particularly as we move through the last uh, 30 or 40 years, could have precluded having been agonized uh, had they bothered to read what he had to say. Now, one of the things that you realize, and, and you know, I have, boy, I've just uh, translated a large swath of uh, Ezekiel. Um, I'm now uh, translating Hosha 
I've translated most of uh, Yashaya, uh, and I translated uh, one of maybe uh, Moshe's uh, most spectacular speeches in the Barim uh, here recently, and gosh, it is so overwhelming. The number one theme, the single most repeated theme throughout the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms is God saying, I hate religion. In particular, Mm -hmm. I hate the religion of Jews. It is the number one and most overriding theme throughout the Torah and Prophets. God despises religion in general and Judaism in particular. And to have all of that laid out for you in no uncertain terms, repeated in every possible way, told from, from so many different perspectives, and not get it, and still pretend that there is some divine benefit of being a religious Jew, is so hypocritical. It's so ignorant. And God said, there's no excuse for it. I made this revelation to you. I wrote it in your language. I gave it to you. I liberated you from religion. I begged you not to be religious. And yet you ignored all of that and became ever more stiff-necked and religious. So Yahweh was saying, you could have precluded all of this. But they didn't. Because his people's response has always been to justify their corruptions of God's testimony. They will go to their grave saying that there was an oral Torah. Uh, delivered to I'm sure the, they will. Yeah, the um, elders at the time of the yeah. written Torah. And of course, not only does God make it clear that there's only one Torah and it was in writing and that uh, there was no other Torah or other uh, oral instruction given, uh, saying exactly the opposite of what they have said, that the myth that there was such a thing is as foolish, as irresponsible as replacement theology. In fact, it is a form of replacement replacing, theology. Yeah. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. So based upon his people's response, there has never been any justification for God to intervene, to protect or heal anyone here on earth. And while that is counter to most every religious notion, It is as it should be. There would be no reason for God to intervene on behalf of those who do not know him and who haven't listened to him. Doing so would undermine everything that he has said and done. Heck, if he walked into Auschwitz and unlocked the door, they would build a shrine to the next version of the golden calf. They would venerate venerate some rabbi who was incarcerated in there with them or who just died in the flames. They'd find a way to give credit to the God that they had made in their image. Moreover, Yahweh 
has already provided all of the advice and counsel that we would ever need to live free and fulfilling lives. As long as we know where to look and whom to trust, the life light that illuminates the path home shines brightly. And we've been doing this now, Kirk, I've been doing it for 21 years, uh, you know, on average, probably 10 15, hours a day, 15. six days, seven days yeah. a week for 21 yeah. years. And the truth be known, I've probably translated less than a quarter of what there is mm-hmm. to learn from Yahweh. And I, yeah. I'm really hoping that I finish these, uh, these last three volumes uh, in the rewrites and that uh, um, I can turn to what I, I, what I really think I need to be addressing is what about those last two battles? God says a lot about them. Uh, and he wants us to understand what he's saying. And he says it won't be understood until the very last days. <clears throat> but you know, can you bring the witness of Daniel, um, nine, chapter 9 as it leads into 10, 11, and 12, can you bring the last chapters of Daniel together with the, the concluding chapters of Zechariah with uh, Yashia from about 40, chapter 40 through the end of the book, 60-something, uh, with uh, what's said about the fall of Babylon and uh, Jeremiah, Yermiah, uh with uh, Yachitzel starting at about chapter 38 going through um, uh, what, 42, 43. Mm-hmm. Can you bring all of that together and come up with a, a, uh, a who is doing what's to whom, where and why, and such that uh, God's people are prepared for what's going to occur? Uh, there's clearly two battles. Yes. They, are, they are distant from one another by enough time that uh, Yisrael got complacent again after God's victory over the marauding flood of jihadists in the Magog War. Um, and uh, they um, are attacked and saved again this time in Jerusalem. And so uh, that's probably got to be the in the next book. But, you know, I've my best guess is that it's over a year's worth of translating. It's probably three volumes just to cover what God has to say to battle. Well, that's a lot of prophetic ink. Yeah, no kidding. And of course the, the, uh, the challenge will be to eliminate from our minds everything that we have been told in Revelation. Oh, yeah. And that, derive yeah. the insights exclusively from Yaketel, Yermayah, Yashayah, Zachariah, uh, and Daniel. Uh, Yoel has a lot to say about uh, the last uh, battle. Um, so all of that has to be connected and um, interpreted, understood correctly translated so we can find out why God said so much about two battles. You know, his people yeah. would, 
you know, would uh, he does have a lot to say about uh, the uh, the battles against the Assyrians and why they took place, the battles against the Babylonians and why they took place. The battles against uh, the Greeks and uh, and Romans, um, and then uh, the Roman Catholic Church and and of course Muslims. But this is um, this is special. Mm-hmm. And what religious Jews have done is just throw up their arms and say it's all mysterious and it's symbolic language and it might be a spiritual battle. It might have already happened. Uh, it may be talking about a physical battle, but nobody knows. Well, God didn't write it for nobody to know. No. And so, uh, you know, I've got probably to the end of this year, continuing to edit the uh, the whole series of Yada Yada, and I may then work to uh, with uh, Jackie and others to get Tea with Terrace uh, in the Company and Prophet of Doom into the Amazon Books collection and uh, onto the uh, the shelf, uh, because exposing mm-hmm. and condemning Islam is important but also uh, coming to an understand uh, group and corporate dynamics is, uh, is important. If you don't understand economics in particular, it's going to be very difficult to understand. What Apparently nobody transpire. does anymore. So yeah. yeah. So in the company so. is useful for that. Uh, uh-huh. But um, this uh, is a project that we will be undertaking um, in uh, really throughout uh, 2023. Um, and I hope to, uh, to end up with uh, two or three volumes that uh, allows Yahweh to express why he shares so much about what's going to transpire to his people. He does not want them blindsided. He wants them to know what's going to occur so that they can prepare themselves and flee the religious, flee the political, and rely on him. Because if you rely on him, uh, all good things happen. You uh, become immortal. You are perfected. You are adopted, enriched, and empowered, forever becoming part of the covenant. You know, it's interesting that the last uh-huh. uh, last statement that I was translated today was uh, the uh, conclusion of Hosea chapter two. And you know what it says is pretty famous. It says that you know when Yahweh returns. On the uh, and the references to it doesn't state it specifically, but the references to that specific day, uh, which is mm-hmm. the day of uh, of, rec- of uh, reconciliations, Yom Kippur. Yeah, yeah. And, and right. he says that uh, the that at that moment his people are going to welcome him as an ish, an individual, and that means we're not welcoming Yahweh. Uh, and relating to Yahweh is God, but as an ish, no, an it's a person. Yeah, it's a person. Which is how, yeah. by the way, Abraham related to Yahweh. He was as an ish. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's how he met with uh, Shamuel, as an ish, an individual. Well, uh, uh, Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So it's really a very uh, powerful uh, concept. This ish individual, but what it necessitates is that God's going to have to empower us, enrich us, elevate us uh, to the point where the differences between us as flawed mortal beings uh, in 3D to spiritual beings uh, essentially like light uh, as 7D, 
uh, infused with his Torah written inside of us is that we're going to be so much similar to God that we're going to relate to God as an individual. Well, uh, boring that I don't think we could relate to. A pretty powerful uh, concept. That that means that we're going to be elevated considerably for that to happen. And then the second part of it is, God says, the single most important thing I want to tell you about, this is the most important day in my entire existence, the day of reconciliation, your 6,000 yacht, is that I will never, ever, for the rest of time, ever have to hear that title and, nor, and name the Lord, Lord. ever again. Mm-hmm. And yet, the most common name for God in religion, whether it be Islam or Judaism or, uh, or Christianity, is the Lord. And God says, that will be the N-word of the future of evermore. The first official act of forever is... Uh, Eliminating elimination of that, yeah. The uh, the title and, and the, L, the L word, the Lord, yeah. That should get your attention. So anyway, it's always fun to translate Yah's testimony. We learned so much. Um, uh, you know, I want to make certain that those who are listening to this program who are uh, Yehudim, they feel welcome. Uh, yes, we do criticize uh, Judaism uh, because you can't study and share Yahweh's testimony without criticizing Judaism. It's the uh, God's greatest blight uh, against his people. So it's important for you to know that God is anti-religious and particularly anti-Rabbi and uh, anti-Judaism. And he is opposed to those things because he loves his people and he wants to restore his relationship with him. And that isn't possible while they cling to the rabbinical rubbish. So, we're, it's, we're not in a position that the rabbis have ever faced before because any time they have been criticized in the past, it's somebody trying to evangelize them and, uh, mm-hmm. and encourage them to some other religion, whether it convert to Islam over, uh, with a sword over their head or convert to, uh, to Christianity. And no, we are are equal opportunity haters when it comes to those religions. I mean, uh, I don't think there's anyone who has attempted to translate Yahweh's testimony and, you know, in over 20 volumes, who has also written a comprehensive expose against the religion of Islam, as I have with Prophet of Doom, and also four-volume set exposing and condemning Christianity. So, you know, we are, as is God, Equal opportunity when it comes to religion. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't understand that God is anti-religious, then there's no chance that you'll be part of the covenant because walking away from one's country, from yeah. Babel, uh, and from the, uh, from the religiosity of one's nation is uh, the first requirement of the covenant. And in Israel, it's really impossible to... Uh, to disassociate politics and religion. Should uh, Likud come back into power, they will be inseparable again. Um, mm. So that's our program for tonight. Thank you for, uh, for listening. Uh, no. Thank you for being part of it, Kirk. We look forward to being with you, uh, you. this time uh, next week. We may pick up again at 9-1, but we'll move on from, uh, from there as we continue to study 
the word of Almighty God. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Shalom. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.